Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 128. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys! Plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. 
And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I'm still working on my Madden Turtles books, and also articles about the Richie Rich comic strip, Charlton Comics, and Popeye. I also just created the index for the proof for the Total Television scrapbook. Uh, no news at the moment for my Disney, Pac-Man, and Warren Kremer books, but I will let you know when it comes out. On today's show, animation historian and columnist Camden Spees is back, and today he's brought with us the sons of animation legend Myron Waldman. Here they are, Bob and Steve Waldman. Hi, this is Mark Arnold at Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have three, count them, three guests. I have uh, the returning Camden Spees uh, to my left, <laughs> and uh, today he's brought in a couple of other great guests, uh, the son of Myron Waldman from Animation Fame, and we'll talk about that in a bit, uh, Rob Waldman and Stephen Waldman. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, just wanted to, I guess, since now we have so many guests, I'll have to <laughs> target my, my questions a little bit more, or otherwise Rob and Stephen will be talking at the same time. So uh, <laughs> since Rob signed on first, I'll talk to him first. Uh, okay. So, Rob, um, yes. I, I, I went through everything that I've seen already. Camden gave me another interview, so it seems like we're all just going to cover over the same ground, but, you know, I'll try my best. Uh, you know, okay. it's like, uh, tell me what it was like growing up uh, with your dad, Myron Waldman. Tell me a little bit about what he was like. Sure. Um, it was, uh, God, it was so much fun. I, I mean, uh, you know, if, if you could imagine what it would be like to have a uh, a cartoonist for a father, it was it, that's what it was like. I mean, there was so much fun. I mean, uh, you know, you, you like t if you took a weekend, like if you took this day, a Sunday, maybe sixty years ago, you know, it would be that. Um, you know, we would we might have over for uh, for breakfast or brunch. Um, Sid Raymond, who did and his family, and who did the vo Sid Raymond did the voice of Baby Huey. So uh, you know, it was really cool that way. Uh, you know, other times. Um, the other thing about it was growing up with it. I mean, if, if you take a typical Sunday, if like and Steve will, will you know back me up on this. If this was this Sunday in 1961, the day would start with probably dad would already be in the basement where his studio was. And he'd be working now at this point, he was probably working on out of the inkwell, right, Steve? For how that's Seager. correct. Yeah. Yeah. So he would he would um, he would be he, he would go into the city during the during the week at that point. And then later on, by probably about 1963, 64, he was working at home most of the time, and then would bring his stuff into the city um, when he was finished with, with the project. But 
the day would start with, you know, he would already be in the basement and we would just be waking up and he would be in the basement. Steve and I would go to Sunday school, uh, would come back. And if we didn't have Sunday school, dad would take us to one of the few places, few places that was, he'd do his work. Then we would all have breakfast together. Um, then there might be an errand or two in the afternoon and we would go to places like, it could be as simple as just getting stuff at our local deli in, in, in Wanta, but it would be stuff like locks and, you know, and, and bagels and white fish and all the herring for. And that was usually sure. Saturday morning. I thought. Yeah, that, that's right. That would be Saturday because a lot of places were yeah. closed, but we would go right. with him. He, he, he dad, always, dad was a frustrated farmer. He would, if it was a summer, he would be gardening you know, he loved growing vegetables. Mom did all the plants and flowers. But Dad would, would go out in the garden after lunch, probably, do his stuff, then go back. No, no, wait a minute. I've got that wrong. Because if it was lunch, it would be my grandparents would be coming over. We'd be, picking up, uh, we'd be picking up uh, mom and pop. Uh, right. Probably about, usually about one or two o'clock. Uh-huh. And they would stay the whole day. They, we, mom would, you know, of course, make her one of her famous dinners and stuff. And then uh, they'd say they'd stay to about after, uh, I think Ed Sullivan, I think. Yes. After Ed Sullivan and take them home. Yeah. That would, that would be probably the only day dad would really uh, not work as hard because he would, he would be working. He worked every day of the week because those, right. those drawings, I mean, there was no way to stop, you know, if you were going to draw, right. <laughs> it had every, it had to be drawn through i mean by 1961 he's doing limited animation which meant this this right <laughs> so uh that's that's what he'd be doing now and the other thing about what i what i meant about uh, what i mean about all the fun we had let's say somebody like sid raymond came over dan would put together a menu he would <laughs> illustrate a menu of all the stuff there would be he'd do this on new year's eve things like that it was um it was lots of fun yeah, and on your website, I think you have a couple of those menus, the, your life post website. That's right, Camden. Yeah. Yes, we do. We have a couple of the menus. We have the New Year's Eve menu. I think we have a menu for one of those brunches where Dad would call our house. He would pretend it was a uh, resort named Mildew Manor, like a, a place in the Catskills or up around uh, upstate. It was fun. And, Bob, if I remember right, yes. from the interview I did, you said that your parent, your grandparents moved away with you. Like when your dad moved to Miami, your grandparents moved to Miami. Yes, that's that's right. Um, that was my um, paternal awesome. grandparents. What happened was, is that um, my dad's uh, sister had passed away the, the previous year, right. and she was she was only twenty six when she died, and uh, it really devastated the whole family. So here's, here it is, um, that was 1937, August of 1937. So here it is, 1938, and Dad is just about to put down, uh, you know, the, the down payment. He finally found his dream house, which was a farm in the Delaware Water Gap. And the day he was supposed, either he told me that it was either the day he, he uh, gave his offer, or maybe even con- was go- about to go to contract, the Fleischer Studios announced everybody was moving to Miami because they were relocating into Miami to be the, uh, you know, Miami was going to become the second Hollywood. 
I, I don't mean Hollywood, Florida. I mean Hollywood, California. Right, right, right. <laughs> so so uh, when Dad got word, my grandmother, his mom said to, well, well as soon as you go to Florida, I'm going uh, to leave your father. We've never had anything in common. So, um, you know, I'm going to get a divorce. That's pretty rare for 1938. And we're talking about um, someone who probably in 1938 was about 54 years old. So it was pretty, pretty rare. Pretty too. My yeah. age now. <laughs> so, so, my, so my dad realized it, it couldn't be, he, he said, it, because of how devastated his mom was over the loss of her daughter, he, she, she, he said she would have fallen apart. That would have been it. He says, uh-uh, you're not, he, he said she was right. My folks had nothing in common. But he says, no, you're not. You're both coming with me to Florida. And that's why he did it. And then when they, when, when they moved back to New York, when they moved back to New York. Yes. Did they, did, were they still around? Did they go back again too? My grandfather died. Steve and I never met him because he died. 1941, uh, I think, right? 1941? <laughs> yes. Not only that, he died on December 5th, 1941. Right. He died two days before Pearl Harbor. The, um, the people that, uh, so my dad, uh, so they flew up the body. Uh, they had the funeral here in, in New York and Brooklyn. And right when uh, everybody was, uh, you know, sitting shiva, the word came that Pearl Harbor was attacked. And anybody who was in like the army reserves quickly left the, uh, the shiva to get to where they had to be for, uh, you know, mobilizing. It's like it just tied in, you know, historically. And my, my dad always regretted that his dad, um, he, uh, it was just before lunch and uh, they were making his sandwich my grandfather's sandwich. And dad says, I always, dad would say, I always regretted that he didn't have a chance to have his lunch right. before he passed away. Right. But that's how dad thought. Yeah. Right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll direct this one to Stephen, but Rob, you can join in on this one. Okay, um, sure. Uh, when did you discover that your dad was an animator of like cartoons everybody was watching, like Betty Boop and Superman and Popeye? How old were you at the time? Oh, Probably uh, very early, very early on, we'd watch them do the drawings and we'd go to the TV and we'd watch the cartoons on TV, like Saturday and Sunday morning. Okay. And we'd see his name on there and it was like, wow. <laughs> Did you think it was the same guy who says, that's not my dad, it's a different well, no, well, no, well, luckily, I, Rob was older than me and Robbie would, Robbie would, Robbie was always into the television. He, he was so spot on with TV since he's been about two years old that he would, he would know what to do. <laughs> and he would he would uh, get the right channel on. No, seriously, it's about nineteen fifty five, and he would we would have Dad's cartoons on, and Dad downplayed everything. Dad was so nonchalant about everything. It's like well, the way he we we thought is like oh well, every every family's like this. Every family's got somebody throws cartoons. You know what I'm saying? It was like uh, we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't think it was any. I, I we thought it was something special much later on, but. We, as time goes on, he's saying, gee, we really grew up around this? I mean, it's just <laughs> well, well, what I real. All the gags he would do. Yeah. The one I loved was, and Rob was talking about how Sid and Dot Raymond would come over for brunch. And we had a waterfall. I loved waterfalls that we all like. We like nature. 
And that we actually made a waterfall, which still exists. I'm going to try to get it activated at the house. Uh, but there was a waterfall that had a pump. And Dad took a Schlitz can and had the water come out of the can. See, Sid, 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 Sid Raymond was that? Oh, Sid, yeah, sure. Sid was, the, uh, was in every one of the Schlitz commercials at the time. Exactly. Early and 60s. So, so, so Dad made the waterfall where, where right. instead of it just coming down the rocks, it went down it, the rocks, but through a Schlitz can, and you could see the water out of coming out of the Schlitz can. can. Yeah. That was what Dad was doing. And there is a, and Odo said with, with uh, face, I buy see. that, believe it or not. What the you hell took a polar into that, Rob, remember? Yeah, it's you very polarized. We have a polar into that, yeah. I'll try it's to like, dig that out and put it on Facebook, but it was yeah. hysterical. But Dad would, Dad loved doing gags. He would, uh, he pulled gag on me once. We were doing, planting potatoes and things like that. And he had me going till about right before he passed away. And we were planting potatoes. So one time he said, hey, dig out these potatoes. So we were harvesting potatoes. And, he, and I dig out this huge, huge potato. And I got all excited. I was about five, six years old. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is the biggest potato ever. You don't remember this, do you, Rob? So no. anyway, later on down the road, he tells me like about 2003, he says, oh, by the way, he says, I actually planted that potato in there. That was that, that was a gag. I said, "You got to be kidding! It's funny." But da Dad loved doing gags. So the cartoons, so so his he cards. The, yeah. So he revealed the joke when he was ninety-five. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> that, he really that, did. Now, um, Mark's away. The first time I ever went to the movies um, was at a nearby movie theater close to the town where we lived at. And the movie that was showing, they were showing a reissue of The Wizard of Oz. Mm. However, before The Wizard of Oz starts, there's a cartoon. And there's a cartoon, and it's Casper the Friendly Ghost. And when it came <laughs> on... I've never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. As, as, it's, as it's running, and the credits start, and I went with my mom, and she says, there's Daddy's name. And so the first time I ever went to the movies was not only to see The Wizard of Oz, it was seeing one of my dad's cartoons. How cool is that? The first time you go to the movies, there's your dad's name on the screen. Wow. It was so cool. I knew as a kid, um, well, I remember dad, by the time I was in second or third grade, he had left Paramount and now was doing commercials. And when I was in third grade, one of the commercials was for Mott's apple juice. And this little kid goes, Mott's apple juice. And... And I remember the kids in school, you know, during lunch would go, my apple juice. And I said to them, oh, my dad did that commercial. And they go, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, I have a quick question for Rob, because yeah. this will be a good story that I'd like to repeat in this interview. Now, Mark, now, Rob, you watch your dad draw the cartoon, The Planet Mausola. Yes. Yes. Oh, you want it? Yeah. I'm watching, that was one of the last things he did for Paramount. I believe he did that around 1960, 61. And by that time, he's working for Hal Seeger Productions. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, Paramount would ask, hey, can you do one for, for us? So this is one called Planet Mouseola. And it's about um, the mice want to send um, the cat that keeps terrorizing them into space. And there's a rocket in the in the uh, cartoon and in the storyboards or in the layout drawings, the, the, uh, 
the rocket is called Feline One. <clears throat> it's 1961, 60. I say to Dad, I said, you know, the name of the booster that all the rockets, you know, that they're using is called the Atlas. Why not call the rocket the Catalyst? He runs it past Paramount, and I get paid for coming up with a sight gag for the cartoon. And it was the first time I got paid for writing anything. And that's okay. what I eventually became. You know, a writer for television that's doing all sorts of stuff. But, but I was, never do this. Yeah. I never do this. Yeah, oh, it's, in the, it's in the interview with Kevin. But the funny, yeah. thing, but the funny thing is, when, when, when my when my know. Jealous? No, listen, Steve. No. no. Steve um, got paid for a character. Steve had a character when he was a little kid, like when he's um, five, called Tuffy the Luffy. So Dad brings it into Hal Seeger, and Hal writes up a contract with Steve, wow. <laughs> which is still in, you know, still at the house, that says, uh, yeah. I am very interested in your character, Tuffy the Luffy. I hereby um, uh, um, want to acquire the rights, and I will pay you, what was it, 50 cents or something like that? Yeah, something like that. It's still happening. But this is Dad. I understand that Paramount wanted to give me five bucks. And I think Cal wanted to give you, Steve, five bucks for your idea. Dad said, nah, that's too much. Just Nothing doing. Nothing doing. Nothing doing. Yeah. So Planet Mousy, thank you. You should have asked for interest in a certain amount. Of, you should have asked for interest. Every time you use the character, you get, you get, a, you get a paid interest. Well, it was so cool when you, uh, you know, posted it last, last year, Camden, on, uh, I think it was on Jerry Beck's site, right? Yeah. And he, and he got the correct title, because I always thought it was Cape Kidnaveral was the cartoon. Uh, no, it was Planet Mausiola. Hmm. That could have been, like, could have been like, a, like, a, like a production title or something. Yeah, but it was the first time, no, I think there is a Cape Kidnaveral uh, cartoon, because I saw it, and I, and I go, hey, there's nothing about a cat in this. So it wasn't the way. But the funny thing is, is that when I saw it, when you posted it, that was the first time I've seen it. Yeah. I think so. That was a, so 60 years later, it's the first time I'm seeing this car too. Yeah. Since it, maybe I might have seen, oh, I wouldn't have seen it because it wasn't for television. It was for the <laughs> yeah. Wow. Was that so, one of the mad, modern madcaps things? Yes. And was that part of Harvey part? Because Mark wrote the official book on Harvey Comics. Would that have anything to do with Harvey? Um, I don't think so. Not at that time. No, I think I can kind of answer that. Um, when Harvey did get the rights because they needed filler, as it were, for the new Casper cartoon show in 1963, they had the rights to fill that half hour with any cartoons up through like 1962. So they didn't really have the rights to them other than airing them as part of that show. So that's oh, really so how they I couldn't, they couldn't though. Cause so like they didn't have like, you know, a Paramount comics, one of those like, you know, all like, you know, those cat cats for new cartoon comics. Yeah. They didn't have um, modern rack titles in there. No. no. Which since we're talking Harvey, um, did your dad ever work for Harvey Comics directly or do you get any comic book work or is it just animation I throughout his career? I, I think he might have in the, in the early to mid 50s just to okay. make some extra. I know, yeah, probably around 54, 55. Okay. Because in all my research, I've never found some, because of course they never give credits on comic book stories. Yeah. It's like 
it seemed like it when I read the Myron Waldman profile on mm-hmm. from the National Cartoonist Society that he did a little bit of work for Harvey, but for the most part, he stick stuck with animation. That's what I, I kind of figured. He, he, I uh, yes, I know around 1954 55, mm-hmm. um, things were a little tight financially, and it was possibly because of the hospital bills. Surgery. Didn't he, have his, didn't he have his? No, uh, no, no, no. He didn't have surgery. He didn't have surgery. But, but what happened? Ha- health problem. Well, they thought it was, but it actually turned out to be a, he was he had a he had a, a scare because they thought they had to he passed out in Penn Station. Right, that's what and it they, was. And they thought um, he went to a surgeon who said, um, "Well, we have to take out one of your kidneys." Right. But right. He, he showed the X-rays to one of his uh, oldest friends, who was the head of radiology for um, Flower Fifth Avenue Hospital at the time, and he says, "Don't listen to that guy. It's a congenital defect. You've had it since you were born." Saved his lot, you know. Saved him from having a um, serious surgery, um, but uh, but around that time it was tight because I, you know, this is before, um, well, way before there were lots of bills after uh, my grandmother passed away from, uh, from from cancer. So I had a feeling that that, that was one of the problems too, mm. and so he would have he would have moonlighted doing yeah. stuff for Harvey. And he also moonlighted with Hal Seeger, who was then doing, uh, had a, I forget the name of the comic book company, but he, he had a couple of comic books. Mm-hmm. And the one that Dad did, uh, did, uh, cartoon, did illustrations for was um, Broadway Hollywood Blackouts, which were old burlesque mm-hmm. sketches put into comics. You can find it online. Mark mm-hmm. um, Adam. No. <laughs> but I know about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I know I he did, this. and I think I read this in the Wikipedia, he did like one of the first graphic, what they consider a graphic novel. Yes, Eve. Yeah. And so. Eve was this, uh, called A Love Story Without Words, and he did it in, um, he, he was yeah. inspired by all the uh, folks, you know, here he is, a bachelor in Miami uh-huh. Beach in 1939, uh-huh. 1940, oh, wait, wait, wait. Eve, can you hold it up for just a second more? Uh-huh. You can show the whole cup. You can show the whole cover. Yeah, (laughs) I I was holding it up. I thought you didn't stop. Um, And all he would always be getting calls from (laughs) friends saying, "Oh my, my sister's coming down. Can you show her around Miami and all that stuff?" So he's meeting all these single, and some of them were lonely and homely, and so. And he came up with this love story that he did without words about this chubby. Chubby, I don't uh, think any were homely, Rob. I don't know. No, 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 no. So. But that's the ones he didn't talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but some of them were. Some of them were. Uh, that, at least that's what I remember. But they. No. But he came up with this idea of like a lonely, like a, a lonely hearts type chubby girl who goes down to Miami seeking uh, love, and uh, and she finds it, and. Um, all done without words, and it, it, it was really wonderful. It came out in 1943, 1943. and um, yeah, there's some of the pictures. <laughs> it almost has like a little Lulu look to yeah. it, of course, you yeah. probably worked on little Lulu too. You know? that, that, <laughs> so, oh yeah, like I, yeah. that was a year later. Um, so uh, yeah, he, uh, 
it came out in 1943 and it got rave reviews. I mean, Walter Winchell said it, you know, gave it orchids, which was Winchell's um, ultimate praise of something. He said it's such a oh, yeah. sensation and whatever. And the problem was the publisher went bankrupt not long after it came out. But uh, it, uh, it really was uh, one of his, uh, the, one of the favorite things he did. Because unlike a lot of the people, guys he worked with, he really was, he really felt, felt uh, thought of himself as an artist. Mm -hmm. And he, he just didn't want to be, you know, more than just a, a you know, a, a for hire worker at, at either Flashers or Paramounts. He was an artist. And this was his, his own baby. This is, he came up on his own. He was very proud of the rest of his life. And then it's like, 45 years later, um, Tune Art, which was a gallery that represented Dead for his limited uh, artworks, um, decided to republish it. And so they republished it, I believe, was 96, 97, 8, somewhere around there? Uh, yeah, it's around that time, yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now, was he a fast artist? I mean, I, yeah. I always assume animators are fast artists, but they may not be, so I don't know. He was fast and accurate. Oh. You could draw a line on a paper. He'd make something out of it. He was never, ever stumped. But he would do some really, really fast sketches. Mm -hmm. And it was, he, was, he, he was very quick-witted. He would... Uh, uh, here's, an, here's an example. With family stuff, my grandparents were, you know, they would argue. And, and Dad always had a very, very uh, humorous nature about him. And there's something he did where... <laughs> My grandfather loved tropical fishes. This is my grandfather on the phone. Here he is running. And of course, the tank top uh, shirt, and everything's accurate. You like go into the, the hospital. I like the feet. And there he is with my mother. <laughs> Rosalie, you didn't finish the grapes. Now he would do something like this in a matter of no time flat. I mean, oh. he was that, that quick. <laughs> Creative as hell. My mother was a gourmet cook. So what did he have? He had labels from my mother's cooking. <laughs> Those are on yeah. your website, I think. Those are, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing was, we didn't need Hallmark because every every uh, holiday, he'd do a card. Here's a Hanukkah card he did for my daughter. Oh, happy Hanukkah. Right. Oh, Pudgy. <laughs> yeah. Which he Pudgy did for was everybody. I'm sorry? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, Pudgy was his creation. Yeah. Yep. Did he create any other characters, or was that the main Yeah, Funky and Spunky. Donkey and Spunky, okay, that's Yeah, right. the donkeys, yeah. That's they right. did the comic strip, like comic strip for a short time. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, ha tell happy us about that, like Happy the uh, Humbug or something? Yeah, yeah. Happy, yeah. happy the Humbug was a, uh, a um, what they called a transcribed recorded series for NBC Radio. And it went out to, uh, it wasn't on the network, but it went out to local state. I don't think it was on the network. It might have been. But they needed a promotional brochure. Hmm. And... Um, the first drawings they got, the characters were so ugly that um, Steve Carlin, who was the creator of the series, said, oh, we need something better. And they said, who could get, do it? And somebody recommended to him, Dad. And the stuff Dad did was perfect. I mean, it, we, we have a couple of, of the, the promotional brochures, and they're just wonderful. And they were so good that, um, that Carlin decided to do a comic strip 
for the New York Post syndicate at that time. This is way before Rupert Murdoch. This is when the New York Post was actually a good paper. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, and he asked Dad um, if he would like to illustrate it. Well, Dad said, sure. And so uh, they did this, um, it was a weekly, and then they tried making it in a daily. And Dad thought when they made it a daily, it was a mistake because it was in black and white. And the, if you ever see the, uh, the original color weekly ones, they're just beautiful. Just, it was like having a uh, animated cartoon as a comic strip. That's how good it looked. Which, and, which brings me to my next question. I know, Betty, I know every major cartoon character had a comic strip at one time in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Betty, when Popeye was, was a comic strip, did he ever, did, like, was he a, like, I know a lot of illustrators were, like Tex Avery was, and I know, I think, I think um, Seamus Colhane was, they were wannabe com- comic strip artists. What did your dad want to do when he, before he became, worked at Fleischer's? He, well, he almost joined, he got an offer to do uh, the Mutt and Jeff cartoons, silent cartoons while he was still in high school, but he thought he should graduate high school. He was the first member of his, and the only one of his siblings that went to college. Because they, they, the whole family gathered, thought he should go to art school, and he went to Pratt Institute. And my my uncle uh, um, actually um, quit high school to help pay for Dad's um, college education. To um, well, wait a minute, yo, yeah, yeah, that's true. And he took over his uh, Dad's business. And help that way. Dad had a million jobs to help pay for, for Pratt. And he says, and he would go, you know what it costs to go for a semester? He says it was, it was $185. And we didn't know if we would be able to, to you know, scrounge it up. Mm-hmm. But he did. And at that point, he was working as a commercial artist. He would do illustrations for uh, the Yellow Pages. The Yellow Pages had illustrations of those days. And he would do those illustrations. He worked for a... Uh, Girdle and Brazier company doing their ads for them. And in addition, he had a uh, comic strip called the Rubberneck Arms that was uh, for the Long Beach, Long Island Life. newspaper. Right. Long Beach Life in 1928 late or 20s, 29. Yeah. yeah, the late 20s. So he was already working as a, you know, as a comic strip artist. We had some of his uh, political cartoons. He, he was, uh, he did a great political cartoon when they were putting the Long Island Railroad uh, trestle over Reynolds Channel. I mean, we found this stuff two months ago, Rob, in the basement. It was phenomenal. Uh, longer than that. The earliest, yeah. artwork, the earliest artwork we have of Dad's is actually a political cartoon. It's, uh, he drew it when he was 10 years old. He actually, and it's in color. And, and it, so he's 10 in 1918. And what it is, is the Kaiser <laughs> with a fork. And there he is with Europe as a, as a, as a hot dog, as a Frankfurter. And he's putting his fork in it as if he's going to conquer it. That's the earliest piece of art we have from dad. And he was 10 years old. And it looks like it was drawn by somebody in their late teens, early 20s. That's how good he was. Did he draw with his left hand or his right hand? I was. He was right. Right hand. I'm lefty. Oh, I'm a lefty too. So, but I always <laughs> ask that because you know it's things people forget. And what type of 
pens or inks did he, I mean, probably Higgins, but I mean, what type of pens or uh, yes. pencils did he do? Did he do blue he, pencil? Black wing. Here it is. I, I, I don't draw, but I always write with a black wing. Black yeah. wing. Uh, Chuck he Jones loved... gave me a box of black wings. Because hmm. um, Chuck Love Jones' family, yeah, and I always write with a black wing. And I don't even, I can't draw. I am the world's lousiest artist. <laughs> Yes, I when I I started looking around for his black wings, there's none left. Right. There's none left. But you know, there's a company that makes them again. So you know, yeah, I I, I, I write with them too. Yeah, and uh, this is what Dad would use later on. But the pencils he used when I was when we were kids were Venus. They were green, and he'd use the Venus Venus number two, HB. Uh, and then he had. Then they were the red ones um, for the for real fast stuff for like storyboards and layouts. And I forgot what those were called. Do you remember, Steve? The red ones? They were thick. They really. I know we got them. I know we got them from Arthur Brown. I know that he'd always yeah. go to Arthur Brown and get them. But, but I, there are a couple little black wings around. Believe it or not, I didn't find a couple down. Yeah, there. but they're like this. They're thick. stubs. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're they're no. There are no new originals. No, there are no new originals. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a. I can't remember the name, but the red pencils, we had them also in school, in elementary school, because they were easy for a kid to grip, and they were soft leads, and they were really nice to use, mm -hmm. but I can't remember the name of them right now. Oh, well. And then uh, he, he used uh, tempera paints, um, sometimes watercolors, but mostly tempera, uh, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. China marker, he used some of those too. He's that China later on. Later, later on. on. Yeah, but, yeah. The, but it, it, a lot of tempera paints. And uh, I thought he used he, India ink. He used India ink. Yeah, Higgins. Higgins, right. India ink. And um, and he, he, he. The standard Bristol boards and stuff like that. Yes, yes. Tempera, yeah, but mostly tempera. He said oil, oil painting, he says oils were hard to control. I remember him saying that. I always ask this because uh, I don't know if you've seen this publication called Hogan's Alley. It's been around for about yeah, 25 sure. years. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And they always have photos of people uh, drawing and shows their hand. And then, you know, they ask them, you know, little technical things. And I always figure nobody ever asks this. So I, I figure I'll ask it when I'm on interviews just to see if yes. you have that information, you know, because sure. it's the things people forget because all you see is the finished cartoons or a finished cell or whatever. Um, did he uh, do every aspect of animated cartoons or just draw the animation drawings? Did he ever do storyboarding? Or, oh, yes, or, absolutely. Um, okay. Backgrounds. Yes. Backgrounds and things yes. like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes, he did. Um, he did layouts. He did um, backgrounds a little later on, but not. Not in you know not in the thirties. A lot of storyboards. I used to watch them. Yeah. A lot of storyboards, and he would even uh, illustrate. Um, um, he would have ideas for stories for cartoons, and he would put together, uh, you know, an illustrated uh, pitch. Mm -hmm. You know, like a two or three page pitch, which he would handwrite. He wouldn't type them. Right. So it, it had it had a very cartoony look to the whole thing. <laughs> Did he ever then, talk about uh, which studio he preferred working for? I was about to ask yeah. that exact same yeah. thing. <laughs> We're in sync. 
Uh, yeah, Fleischer or Seeger or Paramount. Famous. Famous, uh... Because, I mean, like, the DC, like, you know, a lot of people say, like, you know, the Famous Studios cartoons and most people think the Paramount cartoons. A lot of people say the Famous are not on par with the Fleischers. Um, like, did you think that, like, one was much better to work at than the others? Like, working for Max and David Fleischers was better than working for Seymour Nitel? No, I don't think he ever said that. He never said that. Did he say? No. no he was he, pretty tight. He was pretty tight-lipped about that. We never really asked him about that because he was really. Yes, he 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 tried to. He really, in his own way, even though he was working for you know a company, he really stood on his own in that. As I said before, he thought of himself as an artist. He he did not. He had his own. He had his own st- style. I mean, he he always said, uh, you know, he always would take a break to have a good lunch. He'd go out to eat to have lunch stuff. So it was, he had his own style. He didn't, it, you know. I know there's pictures of Al Eukster. Al Eukster on his has website has pictures of like a New Year's Eve party from the 1950s. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. Dad is nowhere in sight because That's right. Part, didn't want he, he didn't like those a lot of those uh, company things because he had early on he had seen stuff at those and he didn't want to have any part of it right <laughs> the drinking and all that sort of stuff uh, the 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 banging Popeye's gag reel <laughs> oh yeah yeah no he wouldn't have taken part in that in fact um, in 1930 Deb was um, offered. Somewhere between twelve to fifteen hundred dollars, not equivalent, twelve to fifteen hundred dollars then to do a, uh, a pornographic cartoon. And he said, "There's no way I'm going to do that and uh, and have that shame brought upon my family." Not only that, a lot of Bibles from my from from my run. Years mm-hmm. later, uh, he was offered to do Fritz the Cat. He turned that down too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a lot of Fleischer animators did Fritz the Cat. Yeah, a lot of them did. A lot of them did. And I but my, Martha Siegel told the story when she filmed Fritz and Cat. She had no idea that they just handed her the paper and she says, okay. She had no idea what they were doing until the very end of the production. <laughs> it's she funny. Like, she, she would, well, I imagine she would, but at some point when you're inking the, fl- the seam with the fly, you're, you're getting kind of weirded out here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, he wouldn't have done that stuff. <laughs> He was really adamant about it. Yeah, he wouldn't have done it even if he needed the money, and he needed the money in 1930. I know your mom did not care for the violence in the Popeye shorts either. Well, you know, he didn't do that many of them, but the one he did one of the most violent ones, which is Can You Take It in 1934, and that's the one that supposedly set the uh, standard for um, for what all the other succeeding Popeyes would be like. Because yeah. I mean, he was Popeye was even violent in the strip. Like the Fleischers had to tone that down. Because I mean, like he would, like, you know, if he needed to, in the strip, they could, they, he could hit olive oil if he needed to. Because I mean, an olive oil was a lot tougher in the strip. He, she would just hit him back. <laughs> yeah, and supposedly, according to my mom, I don't remember this, but mom would say that you know, Dad could never see what Popeye saw in olive oil. Too skinny. <laughs> like, Popeye had bad taste in women. That's what mom said. <laughs> 
Yeah. I think Fleischer said that. I heard a like a I heard I heard a story that said Fleischer said the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. He said something like I heard a story. I don't know who it was from. He said like we created the greatest cart cart female cartoon character. We created the ugliest one too, or something like that. <laughs> well, the another thing that Dad was an uh, you know an eye and ear witness to, which will give you the tells you the difference between uh, Disney and Fleischer's was. Uh, Max was being, Max Fleischer was being uh, pitched an idea to do a, a toy of one of the characters. And uh, Max said to the person, I'm not in the toy business. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so he so, you know, so I mean, obviously you worked for Hal Seeger. Did you work for any of the other uh, TV studios, Santa Barbara or anything ever, even as a moonlighting thing? Your knowledge. No, we no, wish. No. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We wish. We, we think, Steve and I now think that, you know, it was a good chance we, we, you know, if things had been done like other animators had done, we would have been living in Los Angeles for the past 50 years. That's Absolutely. true. I mean, did he work at any of the other New York ones, like uh, Total Television, the ones that did Underdog and things like that? Or No, he didn't. He didn't. Okay. He didn't work at Terry Tunes. Um, he, he did, didn't he? Do, he, he did the opening of the Porky Pig uh, show. Well, that was though. that's yeah. Hal Seeger again, though. Oh, so, yeah, Hal yeah, yeah, yeah it's still Hal Seeger. Well, see, how kind of both. I, I, I you, Jerry Beck did this weird story about this on, <laughs> on when he used to run Cartoon Brew. That has a weird history to it. That opening. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a really strange story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably has to do with the fact that. Um, um, Al Seeger had a contract with ABC at the time, and his his company was he had a second company called Channel Films, which was a subsidiary of ABC at the time. Mm-hmm. And I bet I bet uh, the, the opening of the Porky Pig show was yeah. done via Channel Films for ABC. Which interesting though is all ABC's commercials that year were done by the Hubleys. Mm. Which. Would have been a cooler, which would have been really weird, but would have kind of been cooler. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, because uh, yeah, at the time, just after the Porky Pig show, is um, Milton the Monster on ABC right. Saturday yeah. morning, and they did yeah. a lot of those for Hal. A Felix lot of those. Fly, Milton the Monster, yeah. Milton the Monster, Felix Fly. Fat Fink, too? Oh, Bad yeah. Fink, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fat Fink was syndicated, though, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yes. I don't remember. Yeah. I saw it. See, I saw a lot of these things. I, I'm 54 now, so a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. I saw the first time in the early 70s. So it was yeah. all done and spoken for. You know, you just watch whatever was on TV. It wasn't. Yeah, uh, you know, was, I'm 20 and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember seeing things like Out of the Inkwell and stuff like that, and you know, then it kind of went away, and it's like you don't see any of that stuff anymore. And it's kind of a shame because I don't know. I don't know if you yeah. guys have any rights to it. Probably not. Right? No, we don't have any rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute now. Oh. Ah, <laughs> um, Dad was given shares and out of the Inkwell Corporation, but uh, I don't know what's. Ha- I don't know what. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but yeah. like, did did your dad had your dad seen the Fleischers, the original out of the Inkwell shirts before he got there? Oh yeah, I loved them as a kid. Loved him. The styles, sure. Yeah, he's yeah. so out of the end. He remembered, yeah, because those started coming out when he would be about 12 or 13, I think. Exactly, sure. Yeah, he loved those. 
He loved and of course, stuff. they used Coco later on in the 30s and the talkies, and he probably animated those too, right? Um, I'm not sure. I know in the early 30s, but when they did the pilot of Out of the Enclo, which was in 1958, Dad animated that one. That's actually one of the best. That's probably the best. It's probably... Nothing happens, but it really happens. It's cool because it happens all over New York City. Right. And they use live backgrounds. And they use his hand, too. That's Dad's, that hand. My, dad, my dad's hand is Max's hand. All right. Even though <laughs> Max is in that pilot. Did he yeah. work on the TV Popeyes for King Features, too? No. Because like, oh. every studio worked on that. You know, even Hal Seeger a little bit. So yeah, I wonder if he did Jack Kinney. Um, they needed those quickly. They, I mean, they did as many cartoons in two years that they yeah, took what did Jerry years Beck, to do. You know that DVD release they came out with a while back, Mark? Yeah. Jerry Beck said, Jerry Beck said, he said, those are the, those are the ones you can watch. The rest of them we're not going to even try. Yeah. yeah, the ones that they, that they shot in... I, uh, I do have a soft spot for those, though, even though they're, some of them are wretched, you know. You it's know just, because I grew up it, with them. So. Nothing can be worse than The Man Who Hated Laughter. Those are Citizen Kane <laughs> compared to that special. <laughs> the Man Who Hated Laughter. Yeah, that was made in the... In the early 70s, uh, Hal Seeger did uh, The Man Who Hated Laughter, and it was a, a King Features thing for... They had this thing called the ABC Saturday Morning Movie. And all the studios participated. So there was animated features yeah. with by Hanna-Barbera of Yogi Bear. And uh, uh, Patty Freeling did one. And Filmation did some. But The Man Who Hated Laughter was Hal Seeger's contribution. Mm-hmm. And it was Popeye with all the King Features cartoons, like Prince it, Valiant and Flash had worked on it. everybody. The Captain and the Kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind it of a crazy it. story. I saw it when it first came out, and I loved it. I saw it afterwards, and I'm like, ooh. This is weird. Just, just from Mark, just the way you're describing it, I think Dad worked on it because okay. we oh, have drawings no, no, of, of Popeye with all. No, 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 it's all right. Popeye no, I feel bad that he worked on it. <laughs> it was listen. It was a job. He yeah. never. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing was, you know, he kept doing his his, his yeah. crap. And let, let's face it, you know, when you look at a lot of, of animation from the mid, yeah, like late that 60s is. on, pretty much nobody is doing, none of the studios are doing good ones. The, the yeah. excellent ones they did maybe, you know, Warner Brothers isn't doing it. Hanna-Barbera is now a, you know, a factory. There's, right, Steve? Nothing is really it's all, it's all, it's all uh, schlocked, as Dad said. Even it would just be put out. Take this was his, his his expression. The most frequent thing he would say: "Take the money and run." Right. <laughs> so, but as a, as a, as I said, um, animation it really went downhill. I think overall in the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, that's that's why they call it animation's dark age. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I grew up with. And, and, and I used to say, even as a kid, it's like, why can't they make good cartoons? I even knew it. You know, I was four and five years old. I was like, why can't they make good cartoons? Like, and then I'd find out some were made in like the late 50s and early 60s. I go, that wasn't that long ago. What happened? You know, I found out later right. what happened. But, you know, at the time, I was like, hmm. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, Mark, is that some of those writers who were doing that stuff had moved on to television. Right. right. Uh, I mean, Woody Kling, who did a lot of the Out of the Inkwells, 
uh, he, he became a writer. Actually, he goes way back. He had been one of the original writers on Milton Berle's Texaco Star Theater. But by the late 60s, he's working as one of the writers on the Carol Burnett show. So some of the writers had left. The guys who did, uh, you know, worked with Jay Ward, like uh, Alan Burns and Chris Hayward. My God, Alan Burns creates the Mary Tyler Moore show with Jim yeah, Brooks. Right. So they'd all had moved on by that time. And, and uh, I guess- Burns had, Burns had been freelancing though. I think Burns and had, had met Brooks and they were freelancing in the late 60s while Ward was peddling a new show. Like he was doing Fractured Flickers and then in the mid time, I think he was peddling, they were, they were trying to peddle their way into the Andy Griffith show, I think at one time uh-huh. in the Lucy show. Yeah, probably. I think Lucy yeah. turned him down, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she already had, uh, you know, Gary Marshall right, right. and his partner, Jerry Belson, doing stuff for them. Now, uh, Rob, you mentioned somewhere along the line that you're, you became a writer yourself. So what yeah. have you done? And what is? And then, Steve, you can answer that, too. What have you done with your career, uh, if it relates or doesn't relate? What, you know? Well, I finally got into television uh, as a researcher on the CBS 50th anniversary shows in mm-hmm. 1977. And then I went, uh, I was a researcher the following year for, the, for my first trip to California on the Emmy Awards. That was cool. And then I ended up working for HBO um, later, worked for HBO for a long time, first in PR and then doing some of their in-house uh, stuff. And then um, in the 80s, uh, I wrote for Steve Allen for one of his last shows. And then eventually I, uh, I did specials for, um, I wrote the grand opening of, of, of Disneyland Paris in 1992. Um, I, did a, um, I did the Bugs Bunny 50th anniversary special, which is now a DVD extra, or was a DVD extra. The one, the one with the one that, um, the one that um, Laura Michaels, said he wrote the whole thing no different one is it the one that different greg one. ford did or is that a different one? yeah no this is one uh we did for um would have aired on tbs because there was no turner classic oh. movies yet that's the one the greg ford the one that greg ford wrote the animation segments for i think oh that's different no we did uh, a good friend of mine carl lindell and i uh, wrote and produced the whole thing. I'll have to check. Okay. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the one where it was... Um, What's up, Doc? A salute to Bugs Bunny. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one. Yeah, that one. The one where they showed the older... The, 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 um, the, the Turner shorts in the midst, like, if they showed a wild hair, the first one, and they showed... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. Uh, I know we, what you're talking about. The one we got nice, celebrities. We got good reviews on it because um, I remember people gave us... Yeah, it was people gave us an A because they said they're not just showing clips; they're showing twelve of the greatest Bugs Bunny cartoons. So we showed them in their entirety and had the uh, historical stuff in between the cartoons and talked about uh, the differences between Avery and Bob Clampett and Fritz Freeling and Chuck Jones, stuff like that. So I did that. Then, then eventually, I ended up doing a lot of A and E biographies mm-hmm. and working for. Uh, CBS News Productions, where I created um, Legendary Hangouts, which was a series for Food Network. And then um, I did TV Land Moguls for TV Land, which was a six-part series on the great 
producers of, of television, guys like Norman Lear, Gary Marshall. <clears throat> Leonard. Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas. Yeah, that's the first one. And uh, Lucy and Desi, when stars became studios, was the <laughs> title of that first one. And then uh, I went to CNBC, worked in their long-form department, did the history of video games for them. Um, Harvard Business School, we did a show about Coca-Cola, McDonald's. Um, then I did a show about Quincy Jones, too. That's one of my favorites. I got a quick question for you. You were for the History Channel. Did you have any involvement in that, um, in that, in the one episode of the history that has anything to do with animation is the one with Betty Wu, on Betty Wu. And your dad's actually in the documentary. Yeah, I know it is. Yeah, no, I had nothing to do with that A&E biography of Betty Wu. That's that funny because surprising. Yeah, yeah. That, well, I don't well, know who produced. If they produced it in house, that's really surprising that they didn't want me to do it. But um, <laughs> it might have been. No, it was probably produced out of house. Yeah, that's what so, I think. So, Stephen, what have you done all these years? Oh gosh, what haven't I done? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Time. I've>, uh, <laughs> I actually wanted to be an animator like my father. I'd actually watch him all the time downstairs and. I watched him a lot, and uh, he kind of said, don't, you know, stay away from it, <laughs> right? He was kind of into that. I, I was more in the business type of thing. I liked selling. I worked for a company called Electrolux years ago as a district manager, direct sales. I worked in restaurants. I worked, I worked for Holiday Inn. Um, I also into the music uh, thing. My mom was a concert pianist. And I took piano and um, I clarinet and sax. And I'm a, now I'm in a, a part-time instructor at some of the schools. Hmm. I do I have my own lesson regime, and it's actually grown quite a bit. And also, I've been like a numismatist since I've been about 10 years old. That's a, that's a guy that likes old coins and things like that. Hmm. And uh, I do a lot of appraisals of estates and things like that authentication of counterfeits, whether the coin's been cleaned or not, which makes a difference and, you know, into the grading type of scenario. And uh, it's pretty competitive. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, pretty challenging. So I'd say probably the photography and the numismatist art is connected with my dad and the music's connected with my mom. And of course the cooking type of thing too. So I've got and your mom worked at famous during the war, right? Yes, she did. Yeah. yeah That's how they met. Talk about your mom a little bit just because we're here. Oh, my gosh. My mom? Our mom? <laughs> our, your mom. Yeah. Our mom. Our Classic musician. Fantastic gourmet cook. She did everything. A horticulture. She has all these awards. I have, I moved down a couple of pieces of furniture from the, the house in Walton. I found a drawer full, I didn't know, of all these awards of yeah. water merit for uh, uh, plants, flowers. Yeah. She was amazing. And her and my father were the, I, the perfect couple. I mean, my God. Mom would help dad downstairs. If he had a, if he had a deadline for a, a, a production or something, she'd be down there pitching in, helping him with the, uh, with the animation. Not just, wow. you know, just helping along with things that he needed, you know, organizing and, and, and things of that nature. Cooking, she made, her own, she made our wedding cakes, our bar mitzvah cakes from scratch. <laughs> We have all of her recipes. Rob put together a cookbook that mom, that uh, of mom's recipes, and uh, mom was featured on on uh, Long Island uh, local television. And there's a great YouTube matzo ball recipe that our cousin Stephen 
and his son uh, put together. It's had over eighty thousand views. Eighty thousand views, <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's, you get it's a fantastic. And I can't, I, I get I, I get emotional. When I see it, but it's a but great. It really captures mom. Oh, you know, people people fall in love just as they did. You know, if you met her in person. Um, oh God, yeah. She, she was she was like, um, you know, dance combination PR person and cheerleader and just just Perfect amazing. Match. She, she had and she was. Yeah. And dad would always characterize her. He said, he says, I call it the Florence Nightingale of Leftbury Avenue. Because mom, mom was a great lady in World War II at Mitchell Field. That was a, a, a volunteer. It right. Like, it was like helping nurses. She wasn't right. really a nurse, but they, they volunteered at, at, you know, at the uh, Mitchell Field, which is where the Cradle of Aviation Museum is now in Garden City was an Air Force base, Army Air Force base. And um, mom was stationed there during, during the war and, uh, and was also like their, their representative if they had VIPs visiting. She, she showed Irving Berlin around because they knew that you know, she would be uh, the perfect person to uh, be the ambassador. <laughs> she, she did all that. She's just the perfect Perfect person for dad, just great mom. You know, we, we, we had two fantastic parents. I mean, now when did she tremendous. pass? I know Myron passed in 2006. So. Just it's going to be year. a year. Oh, just last August year. August 28th. Wow. It'll she be was, August 20th, will be a year. It's coming up the year. Was not, both, both mom and dad passed away at, at 97, but mom was not, it was 14 years younger than dad. So, and she lived another 14 years. Wow. <laughs> and the thing about, there's so many connections. There's this connection where mom lived eight days longer than dad. I calculated the number of days they lived. Mom lived eight days longer than dad. And on the perpetual calendar, and on the perpetual calendar, dad's born in like year 11. Mom's born in year one. And mom passed away in year one. And dad passed away in year 11. Just, all these crazy wow. connecting things, and then and then when Dad passed, Robbie and I documented it in a in a uh, tribute to him in California. He actually passed away like he was holding a pencil and paper. Mm. That was his last pose. Wow. He, 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 that's, that's how. Uh, yeah, what's the, what's the saying? You always want to die the way milk called it. That, that's what that's what Eric Goldberg said one time. Yeah, right, right on the desk. Yeah. Right on the drawing desk, pencil in hand. That's and mom, that's the way it was. Yeah. yeah. And mom passed away in her sleep in the house she loved. Just the way she wanted. Yeah. Now, in the later years, what did Myron do in his later years? I mean, I, after House Seeker and everything. Well, a, a lot of what he did was um, he he did uh, like what you see behind me. Yeah. He did original. Uh, he did uh, what became uh, limited editions for animation art galleries and he was sponsored for uh by uh, tune art which was based in cincinnati and they would distribute dad's work and then it, later on he was uh, with um what was it called american royal arts american yeah. royal arts yeah that was yeah. the last one he was with and also and, he did he do lecture he do guest appearances all over the world holland any place uh miami boca so the, the, the crazy thing is, is that he was busier in his late 80s and 90s than he had been in his 60s. 
He was doing oh, more exactly. work. The 60s and 70s, there was a period of time from about 1970 yeah. to about 1980-something where it was like, and to me, it seemed like he was kind of down. And uh, I thank, thank goodness, like the animation revival, uh, uh, Toon Art, you know, people down here. I heard, I now, I actually, back in 1990, there was a gentleman down in him, Steve Kane. He was doing a radio show, and he had this guy named Keith Stevens from Animation Art. And I was driving in the car before he had cell phones. He wanted to know, who, who drew Casper the Ghost? Man, I pulled over. I called up that radio station. I went to a pay phone, I, and I told them about my father. And then they said, well, can we get your father to do an interview? So I raced home, called mom and dad, and I said, dad, well, I'm going to have somebody call your number. And, and well, I got him on the air. And it was, a, it was a miraculous. They had him on for about 20, 30 minutes. It was, yeah. And I was on the phone also just to, you know, pitch along. And, and then he, got, he really got, got to get some uh, great gigs coming down here. Some, a lot of times down here, going over to Europe. Mm-hmm. And it really, it did this to him. It, it just, it, it catapulted him. He just, he was so... He had such a wonderful smile on his face, and he was—he was really he felt really, really great about himself. I thought, and yeah. uh, mom was there with him, and yeah. there they were together, going places, doing traveling, going to Vancouver, getting put up in the Pan Pacific Hotel. I have a very funny story when he was down in Boca, and we went to the. This is when we turned ninety. He says, "I want to go to this cartoon museum, Walker's Cartoon Museum in Boca." I said, "Okay, get in my car." Drove him back up. With the Meisner Park, which is where it was. Mm-hmm. We go to the Cartoon Museum. So we walk in there, and Dad uh, says to the has said to them, Well, how much is the admission? And they tell me the admission. I said, I said, wait a second. I said, I said this is Myron Wald in the anime. He said, You're kidding. And the red carpet flew out. <laughs> you don't pay for anything, but that was Dad. Dad didn't want it. Dad was very modest. He just said, right. You know, yeah. I'll pay for it. I'll do what I want. Then he ended up doing a drawing for them to help them uh, fund the uh, museum. That's another thing Dad would do. He would do um, drawings for uh, various um, uh, charities, like the variety clubs. They would yeah. have uh, auctions of, of stuff. And so he would I draw stuff. I have a quick question for y'all. Um, yeah. So limited editions, I know some of the older, um, um, which is one of the interesting about your limited editions is, which I'm wondering, this is kind of a licensing thing. So Stephen, you might be able to answer this more than Rob. So like one, um, one, one of the things that's in the end, like there are limited editions with um, Popeye, Betty Boop, Superman, and Casper and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Those are owned by four different corporations. <laughs> yeah. How did you get that across? How do I what? How did, how did how he did get they... that done? Did they just not care? You would have to ask. I know on some of them. Let me check for a second. Wouldn't be the art gallery that would be putting it together? They would clear all yeah. the licenses and stuff like on, that. It wouldn't be some, Myron. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be Dad. It, w- it would be the art galleries because on right. some of these uh, G Clays and uh, limited editions, you will see the King Features logo, exactly. like in the corner, right. saying you know it approved or with authorized by King Features. So that's true. But that's interesting what you say, Camden, about uh, you know Casper because Casper is still like, Casper is still Harvey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and Warner, and Superman's owned by DC and, Tar- and Warner, Brothers, Warner Brothers, and Popeye's yeah. owned by King Features, and Betty was owned by Paramount, and then the Fleischer family, I think. 
wow. <laughs> wow. No, I thought I could have sworn at one point the Betty Boops were no. uh, well, were her, no, hers to King Features. Hers, no, I Betty thought. licensed by King Features, I think. Yes, that's what. That's right. Yeah. And then I know King Popeye, Features had something. Did it, was the Superman strip through King Features, the newspaper strip? I don't remember. I don't think so. I oh, would have okay. had it been because I was saying maybe yeah. that's what the connection and the tenuous maybe. King well, I know that Peter Brothers has the connection because they own and they have the license. They have licensing for Popeye mm -hmm. a little bit. But maybe I you know, know they get all coordinated with all this stuff. They know, well, maybe. you know, this guy, know this these guys have drawn for every studio, every character. You got to work together. You can't be like, or, no, we're not going to let you have Betty Boop. You know, <laughs> or maybe I know this was the case with I don't know which artist it was. I think it's um, I can't remember which I think it, uh, but I know there was one artist whose name and that one of the studios said, "Nah, I'm not doing anything wrong." Like I know when Chuck Jones would do the Grinch and then Warner Brothers characters together, they would. They wouldn't mind it. He's like, you know. No, it's good PR. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, he's like, yeah. He's 90 plus years old. He ain't doing any harm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, he had never, uh, there was never any, um, you know, legal issues with him doing that stuff where it would directly impact on him. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have done it otherwise. You right. Know, it would be the, let the business be taken care of by the uh, the galleries get the rights to galleries. do a lot of those things. The galleries have to go like yeah. Barker had to go to uh, to be the official uh, for Betty Boop and something like that. I know that that happened like yeah, right it's really after hard that. Hard to even say who owns Betty Boop anymore. You know, talking about building on what what Steve was just talking about a little while ago about you know the radio show and stuff. Other animators, you know. What Dad uh, got in his later years was realizing what he, what other animators thought of him that he had never met. He he, he did something um, in L.A. at the uh, I think at the uh, L.A. County Museum of Art, and he's introduced to to Bill Melendez of Peanuts fame, and Bill Melendez is introduced. He's uh, Bill. This is Myron Wolf. But Myron Wolfman, you're a legend. <laughs> Right. So it was very exciting for him. Bill Melendez did that. And Joe Barbera, you know, gushed over Dad when he, he finally met him. And that didn't happen until 1978. Dad went out to uh, visit the studios and his friends like Larry Silverman, who was at Hanna-Barbera still. And he went over to Filmation. And there were guys that, you know, who, who he had worked with back at Paramount or even Fleischer's. Uh, and, you know, they, they just how, how, how he was greeted like, you know, visiting royalty when he finally got out to the LA studios. So he always lived in New York, other or Florida. Uh, yes, he never lived right. on the West Coast. Or anything. Never, never. But he, but he sort of was going, hmm. You know, after that 1978 <laughs> visit. Right. Yeah. And then we, we then he visited twice in in '97, the LA County Museum of Art, and then when he got the Windsor yep. McKay Award, Award, November, in, yeah, yeah. And, in the fall of uh, 1997 97. that we all attended, which was just, it's one of the most thrilling, exciting weekends. Uh, Did he win a Goldman Award too, though? Hmm? Did he win a Goldman Award too? A Goldman Award? A Golden Award. I, I knew you. Yes, I think he did. I think he did. Oh, you froze. Yeah. Who, me? I, 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 there was silence. I didn't know if there was a okay. question to me or, or the you. gold, the golden award. I think Dad did get a golden award. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
at this point, I don't have any other questions. Cam, did you have any other questions at this time? No. Okay. Uh, so I always like to say here at the end of the show, um, I don't know if you're going out and about promoting your dad's work or anything like that at this time or what you're doing. So, but if people wanted to get a hold of you, ask questions, or uh, if you have anything to promote, uh, here's your chance. So I'll start with Rob as usual. <laughs> well, if you want to know more about dad, um, and it, it, this is like an online exhibit, which I curate it, and Steve helped out on it a bit too. Uh, go to lifeposts.com. Mm -hmm. And in the search, put in Myron Waldman, and you will see um, a, a pretty comprehensive um, uh, retrospective of my dad's work. Also, just remember, <laughs> if you're in the, it doesn't matter if you're in the New York area or not. Um, CW Post, Long Island University, has a department called Hutton House. It's for School of Continuing Education. On October 4th, I am doing a uh, Zoom presentation on, on debt. And that's, okay. Yeah, I am. And uh, so if you want to check out that, just uh, look up Hottenhouse, L-I-U dot E-D-U. And uh, see, that one's, um, there's a charge for it, but it's, it's not too bad. And I'll be showing uh, at least a half a dozen of dad's favorites or greatest works. And so that's Monday, October 4th. Steve? Pro promoting my father, I, every place I go, I try to, uh, when I speak about uh, who my father is, I get a lot of wonderful compliments. And sometimes it leads to, you know, they, they wanting to have certain works of his, and I direct them to the proper source where they can be uh Purchased. I know years ago, uh, if somebody was sick, uh, he'd send something to the to the particular person. Just he he just he he was so giving to everybody. He just if people couldn't afford his work, he would still do something for them. He would say, "Here, write your name on a piece of paper," and uh, he would draw something for them. Uh, uh, one funny story. One for you, funny story I have is 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 the fan club he had in uh, Florida, which. <laughs> He says to me one day, he says, he says hey, Steve, I, I'm getting a lot of people from this one city in Florida that love my work. I said, what's the city? Rayford. It was a prison. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Dad, Dad, they're, they're, they're getting your work and they're, they're, you know, they're trying to resell it or something like that. But <laughs> I, pro I promote them. I promote them every place I go. I'm in Miami. I go past the, the studio, which is now a, uh, it's a uh, correctional facility. Keeping mm -hmm. <laughs> along that yeah. That's, that's <laughs> very appropriate. <laughs> but I, I, I promote it wherever I go uh, from my mom. You know, it's, uh, they're always with you. They're always with you inside the spirit, you know, the work. <laughs> and you see something on television and you just say, wow, that's, he, he really did that. And on YouTube, too. You can see a on lot. YouTube, you can promote them all put, the time. Put in my dad's work. name and you'll, you'll see a lot of stuff. But Steve, um, when's the next auction? That's something to promote. <laughs> oh yeah, well we're well we're we're actually uh, promoting his work. We're we're auctioning off a lot of his work because we can't, you know, so much of it that people need to really appreciate. We've appreciated for not, not enough of our lives that it's time for other people to do it. We are going to be doing another online auction, 
that's going to be in the fall. And it's on uh, on uh, Great Estates auctions. Yes, but if you if anybody uh, is auction interested, auctionninja.com. Auctionninja.com. Put, 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 put in Dad's name. Right. And when the auction is uh, is is online, you'll find out about it. It'll take yep. you to the lots and all that sort of stuff. You have There's to. There's a lot of things to to, 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 to go through. Um, with with that but the work is is incredible the life was incredible and we were very we won the lottery we had two wonderful parents that were like like that i mean just yeah. and Very we think cool. back you're really our parents did our mother <laughs> make that make our performance the cake you know and it's now just I said honoring I was... honoring them very good um now i said i was going to do this uh before we started um steve you have some great stuff on the walls i was wondering if you could show that artwork oh, yeah. really quickly hold on let me see if i can get that that done hold on <laughs> bear with me and say a, say a couple sentences about each one too <coughs> i didn't want to have you do it during the show earlier because Nine, then you'd seven. have to reset up and everything so it's easier at the end here <laughs> uh, this right. is something Dad did for me. It's uh, Betty Boo with Pudgy uh, mm -hmm. getting bathed, and it's signed by him, dedicated to me. Mm -hmm. This is a uh, we did. This is like a limited pr production, I thought. Betty Boop and brushing her teeth with Pudgy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> other things from the house in Wantha. This is uh, something that hung in the dining room. <laughs> Grant Wood, yeah. Grant Wood, yeah. My Long Island Railroad old-time cars, which I love. Mm -hmm. And uh, anything else? Let's see. Oh, okay. this was no, something in done. In the tour of the house here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This what is, is this? done in Miami. It's considered politically incorrect. It's stay through May. It's actually the uh, Seminole Indians with the with with the, the natives of Miami. And I thought it was great. The 1939 and. I don't know. People think it's politically incorrect, but you know, crazy all is. that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know, but yeah, come on. Yeah. It's a, it's a period piece. Back right, then, exactly. that was considered, you know, mm -hmm. okay. So that's fine. I have other things to okay. put away. I just wanted to see the yeah. couple that were at least behind and, your head the whole time, and you know, was, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, "Hey, show the Betty Boots up there." And, uh, and uh, Mark, I found a picture I just pulled out from my bar mitzvah, and it's the it's the famous studios table at the Paramount table at my bar mitzvah. I'll oh, point wow. out. Um, Are you in it? Are you in the picture? No, Mom is. Oh. I'm not in the picture. This is Ida Greenberg, who worked at uh, Fleischer's. I mean, it, it, I think at Fleischer's and at Famous Studios with Mom, she was in the checking department. Mm -hmm. This is Cy Schultz, who headed up the, the studio before going to Famous Music. Mm -hmm. um, that's Sammy Robinson, who was the cameraman, camera operator at Hal Seegers. Mm -hmm. uh, that's Nick Tafuri, mm -hmm. famed animator, and his wife, Ida. Mm -hmm. And this is Larry Silverman, mm -hmm. another one of the Paramount later Hanna-Barbera animators. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Looks like Steve has one more here. <laughs> what do you got, Steve? Oh, you're muted. Yeah, we can't hear you, but it uh, looks like Pudgy and a little Scotty, Doug. Yeah, uh, Pudgy, Pudgy with, the, uh, with, the, with the Scotty Terrier, yeah, yeah. 
Maybe he did all that stuff all the time. I actually lost connection with you guys. I had to get back on. I don't oh, know okay. what happened. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. We actually carried on, so <laughs> we're fine. So anyway, but that pretty much wraps it up. Um, okay, thank you. I appreciate you. having both of you and Camden on the show. Um, and it was a thrill because, you know, I, I had known about your dad's work, but I really hadn't uh, investigated it so thoroughly before. So, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. And uh, if there's nothing else to say, I'll just say, again, thank you for being on the show. And uh, this wraps up another Fun Ideas podcast. Thank A lot you, of fun. Mark. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Camden Spees and Bob and Steve Waldman, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 129 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.